Thanks, Brian. That's great. David begins this psalm, this, this poem in the Bible, with absolute rock-solid certainty about who and what his life is focused on and who and what he's trusting in. He says this in verse 1, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Now, now on your seats or around your seats, there should be an outline. There's pens in the back of the seats if you want to make use of that. There's various things to fill in, or you can just listen to whatever you're comfortable with. David's here doing the equivalent of focusing his camera lens on God and, and making sure that there's no, there's no autofocus function about to kick in. He's not suddenly going to be suddenly have his attention grabbed somewhere else and refocusing on something else. He's totally focused on God and, and totally focused on God alone. Nobody else, nothing else. Last week we saw in, in Psalm 61 that David was kind of wobbly. He was staggering, sort of staggering around, unsure what was really happening to him. But by the time he's written this psalm, he's in a much better place. And he's totally focusing and totally kind of focusing on God and God alone. But that doesn't mean that his problems have gone away. The situation hasn't changed. David is just now in a slightly better place than he was uh, when he wrote Psalm 61. He says this in verse 3. How long will you assault a man? Will all of you throw me down, this, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless but in their hearts they curse. The military coup and political coup that his son had led against him was still in full swing. He was still living in exile. And at times, he says here, he kind of feels like a wall just about to kind of fall over or a fence about to be blown down. And the knowledge that not only his son, but also the people that he thought were his allies and his friends and so on were lying about him and had lied to him and, and had kind of rebelled against him and were saying all these things about him was absolutely crushing to him, as you can imagine it would be. If you, everybody you thought was on your side, and, and, and suddenly you discover that everybody's lied to your face, and you've been kicked out. And David doesn't try to pretend that the problems he's facing aren't real, or they're no big deal, because they are. He's, he's been deposed as king by his son, and, and his friends have turned against him. David isn't de in denial. This isn't kind of the power of positive thinking. If I just think about Jesus enough, that everything else will get sorted out. He's not just trying to ignore the bad stuff and focus on God. He's, he's very blunt. He's very real about how awful things are. Things are still awful for him. And when we face what we might kind of describe as the hurricanes of life, and, and especially if those hurricanes are in the form of other people, which was the case for David, then we need to be real about what's happening to us. Don't we? There's no point in pretending like everything's good. The solution isn't just to pretend, hey, yeah, it's fine, everything's okay, you know, kind of ignoring other people's sinful behavior. Those of you, those of us who were brought up in the UK tend to, we have a kind of stiff upper lip, don't we? We pretend everything's fine and, and, and so on. Uh, we, we often gloss over the realities. And often, particularly perhaps when other people's behavior is bad, we sometimes kind of, oh, well, it's okay. It's no big deal. When actually it really is. And those people's behavior is really terrible and bad. Claire and I went out for dinner on, on our last night before our sabbatical ended a few weeks ago. Went to this restaurant. Um, and, and, and had dinner, and to be honest, it was absolutely rubbish. It was absolutely rubbish. Each course was rubbish. They brought a prawn cocktail out, which wasn't a prawn cocktail. They brought out, uh, Claire had a steak and ale pie, which is just wasn't, there was very little steak. It was mostly peas and a pie. Who puts peas in a steak and ale pie? And the pudding was pretty rubbish too. And every time the lady would come out, how's your, oh, it's, thank you so much. It's lovely. Thank you very much. And, and they just said, just tell her how you, I said, yeah, but I, I can't. It's just, I, I'm British. I can't do that. And 
And we're a bit like that, aren't we? You know, when, you know, we just sit there, yeah, it's fine, thank you, it's no problem, it's lovely, it's fine. And, and we don't really face up to the reality. This is rubbish food, and I've just spent 50 quid, and it's rubbish, it's awful. David doesn't do that. He calls out the sinful behavior of his son and, and those he thought were his friends when he's facing sinful behavior from other people. And, and, and when he's doing that, the solution isn't to just ignore other people's behavior. But to show that he was focused on God, despite the very real problems that David was facing, he basically repeats again what he's already said in verses 1 and 2, but he adds a bit more on for good measure. He, he wraps these problems that he's facing around with who God is, the truth of who God is, and what God does, and who God is, and so on. He says this again, Find rest, my soul, uh, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. And then he adds, My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. So in the midst of all the craziness that's going on around him, he was choosing, making that choice to find his rest in God and only in God. And this word rest in the original Hebrew, was the, which was the language that David spoke, also means silence. And it's the idea of deliberately stopping to be alone with God, just to be silent and just to sometimes sit in his presence and not necessarily say anything, just sitting in his presence and knowing that we are loved by God, that God loves us. David knew that God was his hope. David knew that God was his salvation. He was trusting in the promises that God had made to him that he would be king and that his family would be king, would be on the throne forever and one of his descendants one day would be the king of kings. And so he believed that God would restore him to his throne. David knew that God was his rock. And as we saw last week, he was, as David put it in Psalm 61, the rock that is higher than I. In other words, that, that giant rock that David could stand safe behind, knowing that the storms of life would be kind of absorbed by that massive rock that is God. And David would be safe behind those. But he was also the rock beneath his feet that enabled him to stand firm without sinking and disappearing into the, the sinking sand of his situation. David knew that God was his spiritual fortress, that place of retreat that we run to and that we lock ourselves in when under attack. And, and David was pinning all his hopes on God. His salvation and honor, he says, depends on God and only on God, on God alone. And as we read David's words in this psalm, we're really the key to dealing with and handling the storms and fires of life. We need to focus on God firstly, but then secondly, to stay focused on him. Write that on your outline. We need to focus on God. That's, that's hard to do sometimes, but then what's harder still is to stay focused on him when all the, the stuff of life kind of comes in. To stay focused on who God is and who God is, and, and, and to fill our minds with his goodness, to recall to our minds who he is and what he's done for us. We need to focus on God and stay focused, and, and that's not easy, is it? When the storms of life come our way and we're kind of feeling battered and bruised, we need to stay focused on God. It's really difficult to do this because, like my camera's autofocus on other people as it kind of... Uh, change what I was trying to do, so our minds and our hearts often do the same thing, don't they? We find ourselves focusing on the problem rather than the God who is our rest, our fortress, our, our hope, our salvation, our rock. And sometimes we find ourselves focusing on other people or other things that we think might be the solutions to our problems rather than staying focused on God. And so we put our trust and hope in other things or other people rather than putting our hope and trust in God. 
That's why David says in verse 8, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. As David wrote this psalm, probably sometime after all these events, he, he adds this encouragement and challenge to those who would be reading this psalm and, and probably singing it at various times. Now, I know almost nothing about the Hebrew language, okay? So don't, I don't pretend to be an expert about Hebrew at all in any sense. But apparently, according to the experts, the first eight verses of this psalm have a special Hebrew word in it, which is the word ak. And this word can be translated as truly or only. So in some translations, it, it, it reads, which Brian read for us, truly my soul finds rest in God. Truly he is my rock and salvation, and, and so on. And, and in other translations, it reads, my soul finds rest in God alone. And he alone is my rock and my salvation. And, and what David's trying to do as he uses this word and what the translators into English are trying to capture is the sense of the uniqueness of God and the fact that only God can do this or truly God is this. And David's point is that nothing and no one can do or can be what God can do or what God is. There is nothing, there is no one like God. He alone, he truly. And when troubles come our way and, and the hurricanes of life hit us as they do and as they will, not only do we struggle to stay focused on God, but we often then end up focusing on other things or on other people or other solutions. And it's so important in those moments that we don't fall for the lie, which comes from Satan himself, that other things or other people are the solutions to our problems. That other things or other people can be our rest, can be our salvation, can be our hope, can be our fortress. To further counter our tendency in life to focus on things or people other than, than God, especially when we're facing hard and difficult circumstances, David says this, Low-born men are but a breath, the high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they're nothing. Together they're only a breath. And it's not so much that we don't need to fear those who are out to cause us trouble or in life. What, what David's saying here is that we shouldn't put our hope or our trust in people to be the solution to our problems. doesn't matter who a person is, he says, look, doesn't matter who they are, what their social status is, lowborn, highborn, whatever. They're just but a breath. They're just thin air. They're nothing. Other people and other things that rather than God are not the answer to the problems that we will find ourselves facing in life. Only God is, truly God is. David's not saying that it's not good to have friends or, or, or people in our lives that can help us. You know, Jesus tells us to carry the burden of one another, to love one another. We can carry each other's burdens. Absolutely. That isn't what David is saying here. What he is saying is that we shouldn't put our trust in people rather than God. We shouldn't put our trust in things rather than God. We need to stay focused on God and not allow our focus to kind of drift onto other people or other things or other solutions so that we're trusting in reality in other people or other things rather than trusting in God. It's not just people that we can be tempted to trust in or you know, rather than God. It's our, it's our material possessions. It's our finances. David says this, Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. When we're faced with financial challenges when the hurricanes of life sometimes perhaps take the storm of a or the, or the form of a job loss or a salary reduction or probably we're all going to be facing in the next few weeks and months ever rising bills and costs or an unpayable bill or, a, or, or a, a debt that threatens to swallow us the temptation in those moments can be to take our eyes off God 
And instead of focusing on him and trusting him to be the solution to those problems, we look for other ways of trying to solve our problems. Dishonesty. Buying things that are cheap that we know are stolen. Which is why they're cheap. Dishonesty saves us money maybe in the short term, and we might even make some money. But not only have we taken our eyes off God, we've actually stolen and we've, uh, we've engaged in theft and we've, we've sinned. And so David says, don't set your heart on riches. Don't try to solve your problems, your financial problems, through dishonesty of any kind. As convenient as that might be, as, as tempting as that might be in the kind of short-term option, don't do that. Put your trust in God. Trust in him alone. And we can be tempted to see money and finances as our security policy even before bad times hit us. And if we kind of analyze our lives, it's good to ask, well, am I trusting in what I've got in the bank or my pension or my salary or my purchasing power, or am I really trusting in God? What am I really trusting in? It's not wrong to plan our finances. It's not wrong to say quite the opposite. The Bible has lots to say for that. But if our trust is in our savings or our pension or our salary, if our trust is in those things rather than God, then we're kind of missing the point. We're missing the point. And if we're dishonest with our finances in order just to save or, or, or make some money, then we've completely missed the point. Paul writes to Timothy in the New Testament. He says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now most of us, if not all of us here this morning, are rich in this present world. You might not feel very rich, you might argue with me, but you, trust me, are rich compared to many, many billions of people in this world. We are all rich. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves putting our hope in wealth instead of putting our hope in God. As David found himself in exile, probably with little or no money, he knew that his son and the people there back in Jerusalem that were his friends, were busy spending his money. His throne, his, his power, his wealth had all been stolen from him, and it was just him and God. It was just him and God on the run. But he was able to stay focused on God. He was able to stay focused on God as his rest, his salvation, his rock, and his fortress. And as he focused on God, he was able to recall three things, three facts about God, or he chooses to, to focus on three facts about God. Look at what he says in verses 11 and 12. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. So what does this verse teach us about God? What, what, what's David saying? Three things. Well, firstly, write this down. God is strong. God is strong. The God that we profess to trust in is a strong God. We can trust him with our problems. He is strong. There's no problem that we face that God can't be trusted with. Satan will try and tell you that that's not true. Satan will try and whisper in your ear all the doubts. He's the liar. He's the deceiver. He will try and tell you, well, the Bible might say that, but it's not true. The Bible might say this, but it's not true. The Bible says he, he is strong. He can be trusted. And God is strong as opposed to the false strength of people or material things, things or people that promise lots but don't really deliver in the end. And it can be tempting to put our faith and our trust in all sorts of things other than God, but only God can truly be trusted. Secondly, God is loving, write that down, and God is loving and he loves you. God is loving and he loves me. We thought about that earlier, didn't we, as we took communion together, that he gives the right to those who, who trust in him, he gives the right to become children of God. Staggering 
phenomenal. God is loving. In fact, God is love. Love isn't just one of God's attributes amongst all the others or, or his characteristics. It's what he is. God is love. And everything, every other characteristic and attribute of God flows from the fact that God is love. It is the definition of who and what God is. God is love. And if we're going to focus on someone and trust them with the problems that we face, then we want to trust someone who loves us unconditionally and who has loved us for all eternity. God has loved you before he even made this world. He chose to send his son to die for you before he even created this world. Long before you were even imagined by any human being, God loved you. He loves you this morning. He is for you. He is not against you. He loves you and he sent Jesus, his son, the one that was at his father's side for all eternity, to die for you. God is love and God loves you. And whatever else is going on in your life right now, whatever else you take home from this morning, remember this, God is love and God loves you. Thirdly, God will bring justice. Write that on your outline. God will bring justice. David knew and trusted that God would one day bring justice to the situation that he was in. Those who had plotted against him and had driven him out uh, of Israel, forcing him to live in exile and on the run, would one day face God's justice. God would reward them for what they'd done. And their reward wouldn't be a good reward. Their reward would be God's wrath against them for their sinful behavior. And the same is true for us today. If and when we face horrible situations caused by people behaving sinfully towards us or towards those we love, as they were doing towards David, then when Jesus comes again to rule and reign, we can trust God to deliver his justice against those who have behaved sinfully against us. God will punish all sins. Unless, of course, those people repent whilst they're alive and put their faith and trust in Jesus. And then, of course, they'll receive forgiveness. And their sins will be forgiven and they'll be adopted into God's family. So what happens then? How is justice served if that happens? Well, we know that justice is still done because Jesus has taken the penalty for those people's sins when, they died on the, when he died on the cross. Just as he's taken the penalty for our sin, for my sin, and for all the bad things that we've done towards other people or thought about people or said about other people. So justice will either be done through the person who sinned against us, uh, being punished by God when Jesus comes again to rule and reign. That will be their reward. Or it will have been done through Jesus taking that person's sins upon his shoulders when he died there on the cross, if they've repented and trusted in him themselves. If you're going through the hurricanes of life right now because of somebody else's behavior and actions towards you, then be encouraged that God will bring his justice when Jesus comes again. But God's justice isn't just about dealing with those who've sinned against us. It's also about rewarding us in a positive way for what we have done for him. Those who sin against us will receive their reward, and their reward will be God's wrath. But our, war, our reward, if we've trusted in Jesus, will be blessing upon blessing upon blessing throughout all eternity. Not content with giving us eternal life and taking us to be with himself. Not content with forgiving our sins and making us right with himself and giving us that perfect standing and adopting us as his sons. Not content with all that. God longs to reward us and give us more and more blessings that just keep coming for all eternity. Jesus says these words in Revelation 22. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they've done. Jesus is coming again, and Jesus is coming soon, and he's bringing his rewards with him. 
Isn't it great to know that not only is Jesus coming again, but he's going to reward us too if we put our faith and trust in him. God is strong. He can be trusted. God is loving. And God is going to bring you his reward. God is the one that we need to stay focused on every day of our lives, and especially when we face those storms of life. I wonder this morning if maybe you've kind of lost your focus on God a little bit for all sorts of kind of reasons. Maybe he's just gone out of focus a little bit. That would be, if you were to, add, to kind of assess where you're at with God this morning, you'd, if you were honest, you'd say, yeah, yeah, I'm just not in the sharpest focus. I'm, I'm not really focused on Jesus. Maybe this morning you're, you're kind of hanging on by your fingertips because of the circumstances in your life. And if that's you, then please hear this morning that God is strong, that God is loving, and God will reward you. Maybe this morning you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe some of the things we've heard earlier about God sending his son and those who receive his son and trust in him are adopted into his family. If you'd like to know more about that, or maybe take that step this morning to put your faith and trust in Jesus and in him alone, the one who was God but became human so that he might lift us up and unite us with God. If you want to put your faith and trust in him this morning or, or, or know more about that, then please do come and chat with me after the service. Let's just take a few moments to pause and reflect on what we've read and what we've said this morning. Now's just a good time, in the, just in the quietness of the service, just to engage with God. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but just come and be honest and open before God and bring him your heart this morning. come before you this morning and we thank you that we have this amazing awesome privilege of calling you father that you are our father the god who is that consuming fire is also our dad our father that loving heavenly father it blows our minds and it humbles us and we just worship you this morning father i pray for those here this morning who are kind of hanging on by their fingertips who perhaps identify with David this morning in this psalm would you be their strength would you be their fortress would you be their rock would they know that you are loving that you are strong Lord we worship you this morning we thank you that you love us that you are deeply concerned you are intimately involved with every aspect of our lives help us to trust you to love you and just to serve you.
help us keep our focus on you, not just on a Sunday morning, but throughout this week coming ahead. Thank you for all the blessings you put into our lives, all the, the, the godly people that you put into our lives that can help us, but help us ultimately and alone to trust in you. Truly, you are trustworthy, and in you alone should we trust. We worship you this morning, in Jesus' name. Great song, we're going to finish with very gently. Let's use the chorus, the first verse. If you're old enough, you'll know it well. If you're too young, you might not. But enjoy it anyway. Let's turn our eyes on Jesus. once more with just the voices. If you'll put the microphones down, it'll just be our voices. Yeah?